All right, and yes, good morning. It is good to have you in the house of the Lord. Are you glad to be here? You know, I think I'm looking outside and it looks a little wet. And boy, are we grateful for that. I know the farmers need rain and um, those of us who have grass and stuff would need some rain. So God is good and God is faithful and we're grateful for that. I don't normally do this, and uh, but we have a gentleman visiting with us, Keith, over here. And um, I said, hey, have I met you before? He said, no. And he's visiting in town. Um, he's here for work. And then he said this. He said, so my great-grandfather pastored here back in 1925-ish. Is that right? Isn't that incredible? Isn't that cool? Come on. Yeah, come on. That's really cool. Let's honor our legacy today. And I, I was thinking, I wonder what your grandfather would think, you know, with the guitars and drums and all that going on and all of that. And what's a sermon series anyway? A lot of things have changed in 100 years. Um, they really have. But we are very glad to have you, and we're grateful for your grandfather's service to the church um, way back then. All right, well, listen, we're excited about our series this summer uh, that we're going with. Several of you have come to me and said, thank you so much for this. And I hope you will say thank you for this after today. Because I preached the first service, I'm kind of going, wow, they were really quiet this morning. And then it occurred to me, of course they were quiet. It's a hard message. In fact, this sermon should not be called the, right, the Real Right Stuff. It should be called How to Have a Root Canal. That's what we should have named this sermon. Um, but anyway, it is. You know, we're going through the armor of God, and we talked about the first week. Um, we talked about our allegiance to Christ, taking the oath of, of allegiance to Christ. And then we talked about the enemy. Okay, then we talked about truth, and now the next one in the armor part is this thing called the body armor of righteousness. Let me read the verse to you. It's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. Um, Stand your ground, stand firm, putting on. There are three pieces, by the way, we put on. I've got one more after this, and then everything else is like pick up. Okay, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth. We did that. And the body armor of God's righteousness. And this is such an important part because it protects the vital part. And the righteousness that we want to talk about protects us, protects us. Now, the reason I say that this is a difficult sermon is the angle I'm going to take. And again, we've got the sermon title, The Real Right Stuff. Um, That goes all the way back to a movie that came back in 1983. It was about the selection of the original seven Mercury astronauts in 1959. And they started out with 508 candidates. And these guys had to be, they all were jet pilots. They had to be, matter of fact, they had to be jet test pilots. They had to be in uh, test school. They had to have like 1,500 flying hours. All these really incredible, 508 people. And they narrowed it all the way down to seven. And the whole deal was that these were the seven of the best. And the characteristics they looked for were many, but things, uh, I guess you call it a good kind of pride. I'm not, not sure there's such thing, but yeah, pride, um, a certain arrogance, invincible, I'm invincible, uh, and then a real self-confidence. You know, that's what they were looking for in these, in these seven men. And, of course, these are the guys that were going to be the first ones to sit on top of a rocket. They light the candle off, and they shoot off in space where no man's ever been before, if you know, if you know uh, Star Trek. But anyway, and so that was that. And, and, wow, you know, everybody said, oh, they had the right stuff. And that kind of right stuff, the pride, the arrogance, the self-confidence, man, that works great for astronauts. But it doesn't work for Christians. It doesn't work for Christians. 
And then, then, going forward just about three years into 1986, and because of what recently came out was, many of you remember, the movie Top Gun. Top Gun. And my gosh, it was like, like over-the-top pride, over-the-top arrogance, over-the-top pride, uh, uh, you know, pride and self-independence. You know, you remember Iceman and Maverick, and they butted heads, you know. I can still see Iceman going... You know, like that. We, we, we would talk to Maverick, you know, Maverick, you're dangerous. You're dangerous. That's why I don't like you. You're dangerous. And boy, they were just, just enemies one for another. And again, if you could just, it, the room just filled with pride and arrogance and self-confidence. That's what the whole movie was about. And man, it was this huge blockbuster because those are characteristics that culture wants. Pride, a simple kind of, a similar kind of arrogance and self-confidence. Works great for jet pilots. I mean, I got to experience this in the Air Force. I was in a flying squadron over in Germany, and those guys had this swagger, you know, as they walked down, and they wore their flight suits, you know, everywhere they went because they wanted everybody to know they were pilots. They had their little, you know, the uh, Tom Cruise sunglasses on wherever they went. They wanted everybody to know that they were pilots, and we saw that, and I experienced that. And you know, it works great for pilots, but it doesn't work for Christians. So today, we want to look at the real right stuff. We're going to start out by taking a hard look at the wrong right stuff. And that is something we're going to call self-righteousness. Now, self-righteousness is this this dependent thing. We don't need God. It's an independence of God and a wrong take of God's word. And, And listen, it doesn't, you'll hear it very clearly in a minute, but it doesn't work to get you to heaven. Okay? You can't. I told, I was at a funeral yesterday, and I told them people, I said, you can't get, listen, God doesn't care about your religion. God doesn't care about your denomination. God doesn't care how much you give. God doesn't care how well you keep the rules. Those aren't the ways to heaven. The way to heaven is the guy who died on a Roman cross. That's how you get to heaven. Faith in Jesus Christ. That's how you get to heaven. So, so this self-righteousness we're going to talk about doesn't work to get you to heaven, nor does it work for the Christian as he lives his life here. The self-righteous that, that, that well, Paul, Jesus is going to say it, but, you know, I'm better than you. I keep the, hey, God, hey, God, listen, hey, God, aren't you glad I'm on your side because I am so good? It doesn't work for that either. So we're going to look at today the real right stuff. And boy, Jesus tells this parable, this story, and just sets it up so well. So I hope you'll get your worship event out, hit that thing about the bottom line, more events, open it up, hit save. You'll have it for the future. And there's some things y'all take notes on. But I'd say it's not going to be a popular sermon. I don't think anybody's going to meet me at the door and say, wow, what a powerful sermon today, because it's just too painful. If we honestly, if we honestly can see ourselves in the mirror today, it's going to be painful for all of us. Different degrees but for all of us. Well, we kick off in Luke chapter 8 and verse 18, verses 9 and 10, and Jesus tells the story. And he does such a great job of setting it up. Well, you know, Dr. Luke does, okay? So he also, he being Jesus, also told this parable to some. Now, not to everybody, but it told it to a particular group. But I honestly believe most of us would fall in that group today 
to some degree, to some degree. He told this parable to some who did two things, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Now, so their, their culture today will tell you, you know, how do you get to heaven? Oh, there's a giant scale. And if I'm good enough, I get to go. Um, if, I don't, if I don't do this and don't do that, I get to go to heaven. They trust in themselves that, 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 you know, that they're righteous. Um, there is do and there is done. And this would be the do people. If I do enough, God will let me in heaven. That who trust in themselves that they were righteous and just a side effect of this, they look down on everyone else. And that just happens. It just happens. It's a dangerous thing, okay? The better we are, the more we look down on others. It's a dangerous thing once we're saved. Once we start learning the ropes and learning the lingo and keeping the rules and all those different things, we have a real tendency to look down on others. I know because I see it. I know because I do it. I do it. It's like the guy who drives a, a really, really nice car and you pull up the stoplight and the guy's driving an old beater, beater Chevrolet. And you just, you just want to you know, say, hey, you see what I'm driving? You see what I'm driving? You see what I've got? You've got an old Chevrolet. I've got a, I've got a uh, Land Rover. I've got a Beamer. I've got a Mercedes. Okay? So just part of that we've got to really be careful of is that when we start getting it right, we are quick. Ooh, this is good. When we start getting it right, we start judging the ones who don't. Okay? So again, that this is such an important part of this Armor of God series. Okay? So he says in verse number 10 then, to set us up, he does such a good job here. So two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Okay? So what we have, we have two people going to church. Okay, and these two people are polar opposites, but they're both professionals. Okay, the Pharisee, the Pharisee is a professional good person. Okay, um, if he got up in the morning, was having his Cheerios with his son, they're sitting at the, at the breakfast table, and and the son would go, Dad, Dad, wh- where are you going today? Well, I'm going to the office, which would be the temple. I'm going to the office. Well, well, Dad, what do you do for a living? Well, son, I'll tell you what I do for a living. I keep the rules. I'm a good person. Um, That is my job. I'm a good person, and my job is to be as good as I can be. Wow, Dad. Well, well, what else? Well, I also have a tendency to look down on other people because, because I'm so good, I've got to make sure everybody else knows how bad, they're, how bad they are or how not good they are. Wow, Dad. He was a professional, professional religious right person. He not, only, he not only kept the rules, he wrote the rules. I think it's like 604 or 614. You know, you know, God came up with 10, and then man comes along and says, you know, that's just not enough. And the Pharisees came up with like 600 rules that these people had to keep, okay? So, so he would tell his son, I not only keep the rules, I write the rules. I write the rules. This guy was, in his own estimation, good. He was good. He was a professional, religious person. He was a professional, good person. And then we got this other guy. He was a tax collector. He was also a professional, but he was a professional sinner. 
professional sinner. Now, in their culture back then, you'd have people like the scribes and Pharisees. They were like at the top of the pile. Of course, you got both of them. You got the chief priest and all that. But then you got the scribes and the Pharisees. And then you got everyday, ordinary people. All right? Now, they were sinners, but they still did a pretty good job of keeping the rules. Okay? Then below them would be the folks with the social sins and things like prostitutes and adulterers and adulteresses, those kind of people. And at the bottom, and I'm sure there's a couple more layers, I don't know, okay? But at the very, very, very bottom of the pile was a tax collector. He was the greatest sinner of all. And the reason was simple. Number one, he worked for the Roman government. So he was seen as a traitor to his own people. If you worked for the Romans, you were a traitor. But secondly, he was a cheat. It it works like this. Um, He would, you know, the Roman government comes, okay, you're going to work for us. Here's the deal. This is the tax levy. This is how much you have to collect for us. And then here's the second part. Anything else you can collect, anything else you can get, it's yours. It's yours. And so he would go around charging more than the Roman government told him to charge, and that's how he made his living. And they were rich men. They were rich men. So he was a professional sinner. He was hated by everybody. He had no friends, okay? He was wealthy. He would have driven the Land Rover and the Beamers and Mercedes and lived in the right side of town, all of that stuff, but everyone hated him. He was a professional So Jesus said these two people go to church and they meet up there. Now, we see in verse number 11 and 12, we see self-righteousness. Note that word, okay? Self-righteousness, the wrong, right stuff. The wrong, right stuff. Self-righteousness, let me say this again. Self-righteousness is wrong if you're trying to get to heaven. And self-righteousness is wrong if you're trying to live a religious life. Either way, okay, they're wrong. Well, the Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. That is such a clue thing. So, so here he is. He's in church, okay, and he's standing apparently up near the front of the altar, and he's praying to God, but he's praying about himself. Now, let me give you some prayer no-nos. I taught you this before, but I want to make sure you get it, Okay. Um, prayer no-no number one is don't pray about yourself. Don't pray about yourself. Okay, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I think it was Beth Moore, I think, I'm not sure, who said, you know, whether you're telling God how good you are or telling God how bad you are, you're still praying about yourself. Prayer is not about yourself, okay? So don't pray about yourself. Hang on. Number two is don't pray about others. Don't pray about others. Don't pray about your husband. Don't pray about your wife. Don't pray telling God how bad your children are or how bad your marriage is. Don't tell them that. Don't tell them, you know, don't pray about your pastors. Don't pray about your Sunday school teacher. And don't pray about the other church members. Don't pray about them. The last one's a little tricky. I want to keep the word about in there. Don't, and here's the key word, don't just pray about God. Don't just pray about God. Go one step further. So, so Dwayne, excuse me, I'm a little confused. So you're telling me not to pray about myself, not to pray about others, and, and not to pray about just about God? Yeah, that's right. Because you need a different word. And you've heard this before. I've talked to you before. I'll probably definitely teach it again. 
See, you don't pray about yourself. You pray for yourself. You need to pray for yourself. You need to pray for strength. You need to pray for wisdom. You need to pray confessing your sin, repentance. You need to pray those kind of prayers. So don't tell God about yourself, okay? Pray for yourself and ask God to do mighty things in your life. That's good prayer. That's a good prayer. Now, don't pray about others. Pray for others. Pray for others. You don't need to pray about your husband. You need to pray for your husband. You don't need to pray about your wife. You need to pray for your wife. You don't need to pray about your kids. You need to pray for your kids. You don't need to pray about your pastors. You need to pray for your pastors. And there's a huge, huge difference. Amen? There really is. Yeah, aren't y'all loving that thunder and rain? I'm looking at this it. raining good. Okay. Now, the third thing is don't just pray about God. Pray to God. It's great. It's wonderful to tell God how great He is. That's wonderful. But don't forget prayer is a two-way conversation. We pray to God, and God speaks back to us. Okay? So don't just pray about God. Pray to God. Well, this dude is standing there, and Jesus clearly says he's praying like this about himself. And here is his prayer, and we see this fallacy of self-righteousness. Look and see, if you're, bo- if you're bold today, if you have courage today, look in the mirror and see if you see any of this in yourself. Okay? Here's what he said. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. He, the first thing he does is tell God how good he is. And God, aren't you glad that I accepted Jesus so I could be on your team? You could have me on your team. God, aren't you glad that I go to church? Aren't you glad that I give my money? Aren't you glad that I serve? Aren't you glad, God? And he's saying this when he says, I'm glad, I bet you're glad I'm not like other people. And then he starts naming things. For instance, he says in this translation, the word greedy. Now in the Greek, you get this idea, okay, this thought, okay, I am not a cheat. I am not a cheat. And I just can see him in my mind's eye glancing over here to the guy who is a professional cheater. He regularly cheats people, the tax collector, the tax collector. And then he goes, I'm not unrighteous. And again, in the Greek, that says, I don't sin. Uh, we once had a guy here, Brett David. You might remember this. We had a guy who said, I don't sin. Remember that? I don't sin, you know. So this guy would, you know, this Pharisee would say, I don't sin. Looking over at the task collector says, but he does. He does. It's kind of like when we hear a sermon and we go out the door and tell the pastor, I know he needed it. Have you ever thought maybe you needed it? Have you ever thought that maybe you needed it? Okay. And then adulterers. And I just hear him. I'm getting this guy's brain and I'm going, and I'm not, I don't have that moral sin. I don't have adultery, you know. I don't know for sure, but I bet he does. I bet he does. Don't we do that with people? I just know this is in his life. We second-guess people. I know he's doing this. We don't know, but we act like we do. And then he says it, puts it out there. Greedy, unrighteous, adulterous, and even like this tax collector. Aha! It finally comes out. God, I'm just telling you, he's the worst and I'm the best. How about that? And then he goes a little bit further. He says in verse 12... I fast twice a week. This guy was not a Baptist. Baptist came spell fasting. Okay? I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. We know he's not a Baptist. 
All right? We know he's not that. But, you know, it's funny is in the Old Testament, you know, Jews were required to fast one time a year. One time a year on the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement. So, so this guy says, hey, God, I'm really good. I fast twice a week, not once a year. And then when he says, I give a tenth of everything I get, the idea in the Greek, again, is the idea that this, this uh, Pharisee would go out and count the leaves. If he picked, let's say, six leaves of mint, he would make sure that God got, got one of those. Got one of those. So he tells God how great and wonderful and awesome that he is. And that leads us to our teaching point. Okay? Our teaching point is this. Wow, how impressive. And you know what? This is the kind of guy, if you're looking for a deacon, oh man, this is the kind of guy we want. If you're looking for a pastor, this is the kind of guy we want. We're looking for a Sunday school teacher, this is the kind of guy we want. We need a trustee, this is the kind of guy we want. Okay? How impressive, especially to himself. And in the eyes of man, he had the right stuff. He had the right stuff. But not in the eyes of God. Self-righteousness is never right in the eyes of God. You remember when they were picking a king, Joe? Remember that back when David, you know, was doing, you know, they were doing Samuel's picking, and Eliab comes up, and he's big and tall and strong, looks very kingly, and, and Samuel goes, this has to be the one, and God said, nope, nope, and Samuel's going, what? You know, so he brought all of the sons before him. No, 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 no. And finally gets down to this ruddy little teenager. And God says, that's the one. Because you see, the others were full of themselves. And David was full of God. And that's, you know, he's a man after God's own heart. That's what God was looking for. Looking for. So, so there we had this, this huge setup, okay, of, of who this guy was. Now, here's what Jesus says. It's pretty amazing. He says in Matthew 5, 20, he says, this is probably one of the best verses in the Bible. For I tell you, Jesus said, on the Sermon on the Mount, he's preaching his great sermon, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. What? Jesus said, yep, yep, unless your righteousness can exceed this guy's, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus didn't explain how much over the top it had to be. It had to exceed that. He didn't say, you know, how much it does. Now, we learn later in the New Testament exactly how much. We're talking perfection, okay? But Jesus says, listen, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And here's the bottom line. We ain't got nothing. We ain't got nothing. You can come to church till you're blue in the face. You got nothing. You can serve in the church all you want. You ain't got nothing. If you're counting on that to have a relationship with God, you ain't got nothing. In fact, Paul wrote in Romans 3.10, As the scriptures say, no one is righteous. How many? No one. No one is righteous. No, not one. I really like Isaiah 64, 6, and I think, I think the context of the scripture is that of a leper because of what it says in the last part of the verse. But um, Isaiah says, we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. What? Yeah, that unclean thing, it well could be alluding to a leper because they were unclean. You remember, lepers had to go around, and if they were approaching people, they would cry out, unclean! 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 That's how it was, okay? So, that, 
But then all our righteousness are like filthy rags. One, there are two. One I won't share with you because I don't think it's appropriate. But two is that these rags would be, and that's why I think this might be talking about leprosy, is that the rags, the filthy rags, were the rags that the leper would wrap their wounds in. They were open wounds. They were infection. You go from there in your mind, and they would wrap their wounds in this. And many people believe that what Isaiah is talking about is our righteousness is like those filthy rags. That's what it was like. So our teaching point says this. What's our hope? What's our hope? If our righteousness has to exceed that of the religious professionals, the people that seem to always get it right, what hope do we have? And the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Now listen to me. Listen to me. The answer is Jesus. We're going to see, if we get this far, how we, how we should do righteous works after we're saved, but never to earn God's approval, never to say how good we are. Our hope and our answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is, again, if the other verse I read was one of my favorites, this probably is absolutely one of my favorites. It's 2 Corinthians 5.21. It's an awesome verse. So what's our hope? It's Jesus. Look at this. He, he is God, and the one is Jesus. So God made Jesus who did not know sin to be sin for us. That's incredible. God made Jesus who knew no sin. Did Jesus have any sin? Did Jesus ever sin? He did not, okay? But God made him to be sin for us. It all happened on the Roman cross. As he was hanging there, as God turned out the lights, as Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All the sins, now watch this, all the sins of every man, woman, and child who ever lived is on Jesus Christ. And Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer is, God turns his back on his son because he is holy and all the sins of the world are on Jesus Christ. And it all happened. He made the one Jesus who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So how does our righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees and scribes? It's nothing we got. We come to the table empty. Okay? But because of Jesus Christ, because Jesus says, I got a deal for you. Give me your sin and I'll give you my righteousness. So the righteousness that takes us to heaven is not self-righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now that's a good place for you to applaud. That's a good place for you to applaud. Amen. That's a good place to applaud. You've got to understand that. Okay? That is the reason why you can't lose your salvation. That is the reason why, again, our, our relationship with God is not about performance. It's because the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to us when we put our faith and trust in Him, that is why we have righteousness. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, we sometimes need some help. I've always called this guy J.C. Riley, but it's probably Ryle, okay? But listen to this quote. It's simple, but it's big. The true cure. So, so are you sitting there yet? Did you have the courage 
to look in the mirror and go, you know, there's probably some places in my life that I'm a little bit self-righteous. And I know that. I know that because I have a tendency to judge people. When I see somebody on the street who's less than in my eyes and I say I'm, I'm better than that, okay, I've got a job and they don't, you know, they have a habit, I don't, they have an addiction, I don't, okay? So when you do that, listen, the true cure for self-righteousness is self-knowledge. Isn't that good? Write that down and think about it later, all right? The idea, what, what he's saying is, is that we, the best weapon we have against self-righteousness is when we take an honest look at ourselves. When we're willing to look into the mirror and see who we really are. Throw away how many times you attend church, how much money you give. Just look. How do you love people? Hey, Jeremy, that's our favorite, isn't it? Love God, love people. How well do we love people? How, do we, how well do we serve people? How, how well do we reach out to people? Those are big, huge things, okay? So, so when we get an honest look and lay aside all the religious stuff, peel all that away, and see how much of Jesus is in us. That's what he's talking about. That is what he's talking about. So, so what does this real self-righteousness look like? Well, let's look at it. Or excuse me, the real, the real righteousness, the right stuff. How does the real right stuff, what does it look like? We're going to look at it for salvation, and then we're going to look at it in our lives, okay? Here's what it says um, in Luke 18, 13, okay? But the tax collector... The professional sinner, standing afar off. So here was the Pharisee, front and center. Oh, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, especially him. Here is this man back in the corner, in the dark, wasting, uh, standing by himself, you know, standing afar off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's what the right stuff looks like. That's how you are saved. When you come to a point in your life, when you realize you ain't got nothing, that you are a sinner, and you have sinned against holy God, and you can bring nothing to the table, and by faith you reach out and believe what Jesus Christ did on the cross, and what God did three days later, when He resurrected from the dead, and you turn from your sin, and you choose to follow Jesus, that's when you're saved, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And then, you remember that. You don't live like that. You, you don't live like I'm nothing but a loser. But you never forget what God did for you. You never forget what God did for you. You're constantly reminded of, I was a sinner. I was hopelessly lost. Like the song said. What a great song. And you realize, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you for having mercy on me because all I was was a sinner. Now, what did Jesus say about all this? Well, in verse 14, he says this. So, I tell you, he says, this one the tax collector, this one went down to his house justified. He went down to his house made right before God. Not the dude who kept the rules, not the guy who wrote the rules, not the guy who told God how good he was, but the guy who said, God, have mercy to me as a sinner. Then he went down justified rather than the other. And here's what he says. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Everyone who says, look how good I am, look how important I am, God says, you're going to be humbled. You're going to be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. 
We've got to get this outside these doors, folks. We've got to quit judging people. We've got to quit rock-chucking people. You know, I, I'm going to tell you, um, Jeremy said this Wednesday night. I, I bumped into a couple of, of Latter-day Saint Mormon guys down in the park and really got to share uh, the gospel with them in a pretty cool way. And uh, you know what I did? I invited them to church. Amen. Two things, actually. I said, hey, we're going to have this big event on August 14th called Back to School. And um, why don't you come work with us? You know, come work. I'm glad to have you. And then if you already want to experience a Baptist church thing, come, come join us. Come join us. And here's what Jeremy said that is so important. He said, man, that's good. But if they come, we got to be careful not to run them off. true. It's true. So if you see two guys show up in white shirts and ties, don't run them off. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted, and we thank God for that. So, teaching point, you know, we are declared righteous in God's sight when we turn from our sin. We already talked about this. When we turn from sin and believe the gospel of Jesus. I love this Genesis 15, 6. Abram Believe the Lord. Abram, believe the Lord. You understand Abram was a pagan? He was like so lost. He couldn't even spell Jehovah. Okay, he was so lost. Abram believed the Lord and he credited, he God, credited to him as righteousness. Wow, how powerful is that? Now, real quick, I've got a minute and 47 seconds. Okay, so, so what's left? Okay, there is a good side of righteousness. And that is the righteousness we exhibit after we are saved. Again, you know, we're given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We can't earn it. Okay, it's given to us. But then once we're saved, all right, then we should exhibit righteousness in our lives. It's what we should do. So here's the deal. Here's our teaching point. When we are made righteous, we naturally, it's a, it's a trait, it's, it's a birthmark, okay? We naturally desire to do what is right, but not to gain God's approval. That's where we get mixed up, guys. I am convinced, I am convinced that some of us think if we happen to miss church, that God's going to be mad at us. Really? Is that, is that where you are with God? Do you think that, I mean, I used to, I'd be, I, came, I got five years in a legalistic church. And that preacher would get there and tell me how that if I didn't tithe, that God would put me in the hospital to take my tithes out. How that if I didn't tithe, God would give me a flat tire to get his tithes out of the way. What? What twisted theology is that? Can I have an amen? Can I have an amen? How crazy is that? Listen, we, do, we want to do righteousness, but not to gain his approval, but to express our love. It's our way of telling God that we love him. We love him. Um, I'm going to skip First John 3, 7. Uh, go down, Nancy, to that quote. This is from Martin Luther. It's really a good one. We are not made righteous by doing righteous deeds. We are not made righteous by doing righteous deeds. But when we have been made righteous, we do righteous deeds. Part, it's, a, it's a trademark for you know. Once we've been made righteous, it's just natural that we should live righteous lives. Again, not to gain God's approval, but to express our love for Him. All right, two quick verses and we're out of here. Okay, first off, Matthew 6.1. Matthew 6.1, great verse, great verse. Uh, it's a good warning verse, okay? Be careful, he says. Jesus speaking. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. Don't stop there. 
to be seen by them. Your righteous deeds most likely will be public deeds. But don't do them so people can say, oh, look at him. Oh, look at you. Oh, look what you did. Oh, look how much you gave. Oh, isn't that wonderful? You did this. You did that. Do not practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. You got your reward. You know, you got the pat on the back from people. Do your righteous deeds, but don't do it to, to be seen by others. You know, um, Matthew five sixteen says, you know, let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works. And you remember what the last part says? They may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what our righteousness is. We're to be a light before men so they may glorify God the Father. The last verse is this, one we know quite well, you know, Matthew six thirty three. But seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first. Number one, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So as Christ followers in this culture that we're having biblical mindset training, BMT, we need to to seek the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. God, how do you want me to exude my righteousness, your righteousness before this culture? Oh, that's really good. You should write that down. Lord, how do you want me to show your righteousness in this culture? And guess what happens when you do? All these things, all these kingdom things, All these kingdom things will be added to you. So I thought truth was really important. And today I realize that righteousness is really important. Now, it's very sometimes difficult in Western culture to do this. Because again, we're just just inundated with rules and all those different things. And we really, if we're not careful, the longer we're saved, the greater danger is this self-righteousness. The longer we're in church... Man, the better we look and the worse they do. You know, we want to say, man, look at them and look at them, look at them. And we really need to ask God to help us. God, help me to remember what I was, a sinner, lost and condemned. And God, what you made me, a child of yours. And God, help me remember that's your righteousness, not mine. It's your righteousness, not mine. Would you bow your heads, please? Boy, thank you all for being so patient today. Appreciate it. I really hope. Now, keep in mind, if you'll hit, go down that on your smart device and go down there to the bottom where it says more, hit events and hit save, you will have the slides and scriptures till you throw your phone away. Okay? It really, really will help you to remember and to learn what we heard today. Now, today you heard a lot of gospel. If you're on Facebook this morning or perhaps you're listening on the radio, if you heard either way or here in the building, if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, man, today can be your day. You can go from being perhaps very bad uh, to being a child of God. You can go from being very religious to being a child of God. You can go from being what you would think a very good person and becoming a child of God. And Brother Brent will be standing down front, and he can share this truth um, with you today. Our altar is open. Uh, we've had several folks lost, uh, who are sick and lost loved ones. Uh, Cl- Bill Clayton's in the hospital. Uh, Jim Rector went home to be with Jesus yesterday. So we got a lot going on. Maybe you want to come and pray. And again, Brother Brent, if there's a decision you'd like to make, um, today can be uh, that day. So let's pray together, and then we'll see. Father, thank you so much um, for this truth. Thank you, God, for imputing, giving 
the righteousness of your son Jesus to every believer. Thank you that we are held by your grace and his righteousness, not our own good works. Help us remember that, apply that, and believe that. We pray this time of decision. It's yours. It's yours. And we want to pray, God, uh, that you have your will and way in our hearts. And Jesus, I pray in your precious name.